there's seven key fast grower characteristics this year. Um, but before I highlight a few of them, I think something that this study also illustrates, which I think is really important, is um, how growth stage companies are really focused, they're multi-threaded. They're focused on several value drivers at one time. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. For venture investors, it's really hard picking winners consistently over time. Kelly Ford, a partner at Edison Partners, has been studying the attributes of successful startups in her work on Edison's growth index. For more than 30 years, the venture firm has been helping CEOs and their teams grow and scale successful companies. The growth index, which studies the firm's portfolio of growth stage technology companies, finds that fast growers, or companies with 30% or more annual growth, share seven key characteristics associated with their growth. Edison's Kelly Ford joins us to talk about the key takeaways from this year's growth index, which saw a couple of new things added to the report. She discusses how Edison uses the research as part of a broader initiative called Edison Edge, which is a program designed to help portfolio companies scale smartly and efficiently. We also chat about Edison's portfolio and where it's looking to make further fintech investments. Kelly Ford is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Um, I'm Kelly Ford. I'm a partner at Edison Partners, we're a growth equity firm based in Princeton, New Jersey. I have a um, unique role, I think the best role <laughs> at the <laughs> firm, um, where I'm a, I, I'm a recovering operator. So there's an element of my job where I'm uh, an operating partner working kind of side by side with the executives in our companies. And I'm also an investment partner uh, leading investments and managing investments in um, our enterprise uh, solutions sector. So I definitely want to get into um, some of the work you've done on uh, identifying, you know, high flyers. Uh, but before we do that, I just, given your background, um, how does being um, somebody who's, who's, who has a lot of experience as an operator, how does that impact um, the way you look at making investments? Sure. I, you know, we, um, our team is a mix of, both seasoned investors as well as operators. And you know, we team on every investment um, and, and really value the combination of you know, the, uh, the investment investor had as well as the operator had from selling, evaluating, the way we support our CEOs and executive teams throughout the life cycle of the investment. And you know, sales and marketing is a primary use of proceeds when we invest in a company. So you know, back, five plus years ago, our managing partner, Chris Sugden, uh, really had a vision to add operating chops to the team and start to build out, you know, centers of excellence to help um, first, you know, kind of accelerate go-to-market initiatives for our companies. And I was the first operating hire in that regard. Um, you know, we've since added other operating expertise and centers of excellence in the areas of finance and product management and in operations. Um, and, you know, we think the CEOs and the executive teams appreciate that there are folks here that have walked in their shoes. And in terms of, you know, how we operate and uh, think about companies and evaluate companies internally, you know, I think our, our team benefits from having both points of view. It's a more well-rounded perspective on different companies' challenges and how to address them. And 
you know, sometimes the operators around our table can really see things and help our team see things that otherwise might not be seen when looking through a pure in investor lens. Folks who haven't really been in the shoes, walked in the shoes of, of these entrepreneurs and, and these executives. So, you know, for us, it's a really holistic approach and an integrated approach between, you know, investment themes and thesis with, um, you know, you, we look at market product and execution risk and the execution and some of the product risk, you know, relies heavily on, on this kind of expertise. So, um, and the way we make decisions, the way we work together with our companies, and, and I think ultimately the way, you know, our companies can accelerate the value creation in their businesses is, is through tapping, tapping this kind of expertise at our firm. Interesting. And, and one of the things I wanted to, to hone in on during this conversation um, is some of the work you've done around identifying, uh, well, publishing this growth index that you guys, you guys have done. Can, can you first ex, um, start by explaining what the growth index is and, and how you compiled that? Sure. So this is our fifth year. Um, it, it, this report, it actually started as more of a sales and marketing and kind of pure sales and marketing unit economics study and, and has evolved um, to be sort of all-encompassing of top and bottom line characteristics of fast-growing companies and how they differ from their slower grower peers. Uh, each year we survey our portfolio of uh, tech companies and those companies range, you know, just shy of 10 million in revenue to really over 50 million in revenue. And we examine, you know, both top line and bottom line metrics, different dynamics, in order to determine what sets fast growers apart. And our definition of fast grower is companies growing top line 30% year over year. Um, the, you know, each year we, there are some core, uh, you know, kind of consistent threads that we see each year around use, use of, um, you know, the way they spend. Um, and, and, you know, these are mostly SaaS recurring revenue companies, though there are some exceptions to that. Uh, so you do see patterns and consistency year over year. But each year we also try to draw out um, qualitative in addition to the quantitative in terms of things that um, these companies are doing that are really setting them apart and, and, and continuing to propel them as fast growers. So I'm sure our audience wants to hear what some of those things are. Um, can, can we start by digging in there? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's seven key fast grower characteristics this year. Um, but before I highlight a few of them, I think something that this study also illustrates, which I think is really important, is um, how growth stage companies are really focused. They're multi-threaded. They're focused on several value drivers at one time. And it's really, you know, we're growth equity investors. And when we think about this growth stage company, you know, it's more than the kind of you know, top line laser focus of most VC backed startups where it's, it's top line growth and too often times can be growth at any and all costs. These growth companies, are really multi-threaded. They're focused on several value drivers. And I think this study really showcases what those levers are and those drivers are. Um, and, you know, 
namely like these these characteristics you know it'll be no surprise uh that you know i, I guess the old adage uh, applies of you know you got to spend money to make money so you know no surprise that fast growers have 100 percent higher investment as a percentage of revenue in sales and marketing than slower growers mm-hmm. um that's that's a consistent thread every year um the primary use of investment and majority of expense really is 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 spent in sales and marketing for these companies and in a new development this year um we looked more closely at not only what it takes to acquire but also what it takes to ensure the success post sale with these companies uh customers uh using their products so We've also found that this, you know, spending more in sales and marketing, likewise, uh, these fast growers spend 6x more in, in customer success, ensuring these companies are, uh, their customer companies are adopt, trained on the product, adopting the product, and in, in making good use of it. Um, so expense, sales, marketing, customer success, um, certainly more then companies growing less than 30% year over year. Uh, We found that fast growers are also more successful at capturing maximum value from their customers. So, you know, they land them and they expand them. And whether that's, you know, organic growth within the customer base or selling them more and different product. Um, So it can be consumption-based. It can be that these companies are becoming more mature and they have more to sell their customers. But um, overall, these fast growers have 75% higher contract values than their slower grower peers. And, you know, sort of qualitatively, what we found as a driver of that are um, more sophisticated value-based approaches to pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some of that might mean you know, they have a more mature product portfolio because many times at the time we invest in these companies, they might be a one product company. Um, but either driving more value, driving more consumption of their product or having more to sell uh, and really being thoughtful about how they price and capture value, that that was a big um, takeaway this year. And for companies both at the you know low end of the revenue range and um, and no surprising not surprising up through companies with more scale. Now, do you see these inputs or, or the product of becoming a fast grower? I guess that's one of the questions you must get asked a lot. Um, like you know, a lot of these, as you described yourself, like these are the products of having started as a one product company and have, have you know emerged into sort of multi threads or whatever. Um, but how, how do you, like how do you use the this how do you use this data? Um, I guess if you're an entrepreneur, um, I'm looking at you know what makes up a fast grower. Like what what do I do with that information? Yeah, you know it's it can be indicative. Um, I mean, we certainly use our our companies use this data and to sort of compare themselves. Oh, okay, this company at my revenue size or the revenue size I'm trying to get to um, in this sector with a business model like mine or and or go to market model like mine, you know, is is 
capturing deal sizes of X, you know, and we're only at Y, how do we do that, right? Um, and likewise, we, we use this data to, when we're evaluating companies to say, okay, well, th this company's at 15 million in revenue, they're growing 40% year over year, the unit economics look great over here, but not over here. It, it, how much risk really does that represent or how can we help them get it, um, get them to where they need to be? Can we get comfortable with that? And, you know, when we have points of comparison where, where we have been able to help companies move the needle or they've done it on their own, you know, the, these are just great comparison points. And then to also have them year over year, um, knowing there are some market dynamics that can contribute, but a lot of this is really just operations and executions. So, um, so we use in evaluating companies and making sure we're on top of, you know, the right expectations of these businesses, and then, you know, it, they're useful benchmarks for for our companies to say, okay, what are we missing here, or is that a missed opportunity? Um, and there's, you know. The sales and marketing and customer success, the pricing, those these are always hot topics. I mean, we engage, I, I probably talk to someone every day um, in our portfolio about, about these topics, but there's also, you know, finance and HR related um, dynamics that, you know, where this study is, is useful uh, in some of these findings, you know, revenue per employee you know, fast growers are 3x higher revenue per employee than, than slower growers. Um, well, you know, that's a big general number, but, mm -hmm. and it's related to certainly um, some of those other dynamics around what are your contract values and um, how are you driving them up? But there's, you know, we, it's a metric that, you know, our CFOs and our C CEOs Maybe thinking about, but the heads of sales and heads of marketing aren't necessarily thinking about, right? So you've got to kind of marry these these metrics together, and and something that you know I think we're we're comfortable with in this growth stage, particularly you know for these these fast growing companies, um, is loss rates, right? Like these. As imagine if they're spending very heavy on the front end, that they're going to be losses, right? Right. And, you know, within reason, but fast growers have significantly higher loss rates than the slower grower peers. Now, slower growers really should be operating at, you know, be profitable or at least at, at, at break even growing less than 30% year over year in our view. Um, and, and particularly the companies that subscale, you know, are going to have higher losses. Um, but to some extent, you know, we saw companies even, you know, sort of above 10 million, under 25 million in revenue that are still uh, incurring significant losses. But the growth is is very strong, and the, the unit economics otherwise are are very strong. So, you know, there's there's trade offs there. Um, but it's uh, that's that's been a consistent theme year over year as well. And so how does, Kelly, how does the, this type of research um, tie into some of the other work you do at Edison to 
help nurture companies. And you talked about a little bit about it, um, you know, in, in the course of this call, but um, I know you have something called Edison Edge. Is this part of um, sort of the, the services that a portfolio company would get from you guys to help them move to the next stage? Yeah, this is, so Edison Edge is um, our operating platform, uh, which, you know, this study is part of, um, it's, you know, access to this platform is what comes with our check. Um, it's of no cost to our companies. Um, a lot of firms um, talk about value add and, you know, how they support and, um, you know, provide a support system or a set of services, portfolio services to their companies. Um, many of them, uh, you know, there's fees associated with that, certainly at the PE level um, and some at, at the growth equity level and, and, and it tends to be just a smaller investment usually at, VC, at the VC level. So we've made a significant investment. We don't charge our companies. Uh, this platform is run by, you know, a team of uh, former operators. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it includes access to best practices and executive education programs all around growth acceleration, scale, and leadership. I'd probably boil it down into those three and then spanning, you know, sales and marketing, product, finance, and um, operations and human capital. Uh, so we have centers of excellence and teams of, you know, team of folks who have seen the movies um, for this stage of business. Uh, also as part of the operating platform is um, we have a board director development program, uh, which we believe pretty to be pretty unique to the industry so what and, is that? Uh, and perhaps the largest in the country. So our Edison director network is a group of 300 or so um, experience, you know, current and former CEOs and, and board directors who have served on boards with us and our companies over the years. And we, um, you know, continue to curate this community. Uh, we, we engage with them or we facilitate the engagement with them and our companies and match based on, you know, expertise, based on stage, based on market. Uh, geography, and um, you know, when outside the boardroom, uh, continuing to develop board directors and board leadership skills for these board directors is is really important to us. Just as you know, we invest to to support um, the executives working inside our companies. We think it's it's paramount to have seasoned operators around the boardroom table and. It, folks who really understand what it means to use the board as a strategic weapon, kind of the stuff beyond governance. And we uh, invest heavily in, um, we, you know, we used to call it, uh, we, we had been calling it uh, over the years, you know, college, director college. Mm -hmm. So we bring these folks together and, and we design sort of curriculum and we have a lot of, you know, playbooks and guidebooks and, and, and we use them to help us make this curriculum better um, for folks in this community and, um, and you know, ultimately for the CEOs and in the companies that they're, they're helping to support uh, through, their, 
through serving on their boards. So in the remaining time that we have, Kelly, I'd love to tie this back to, to FinTech. Um, given some of the, you know, sort of the attributes that you look for in, in you know, high-performing companies, can you talk about, um, I guess, Edison's thesis around fintech, what's, what sort of subsectors you looked at, what are some of the themes in the sector, um, and sort of talk about the portfolio that way? Sure, yeah. So, so generally, um, across our sectors, we look for high-growth companies that are, you know, 5 to $20 million in revenue. They've, they've proven product market fit. A lot of times the product feels more mature than the company so, and um, they've you know, been reasonably capital efficient uh, meaning they haven't raised a lot of money prior to our money going in um, strong unit economics as I mentioned earlier um, so that's sort of the general profile of, of the type of companies we would invest in uh, heavily recurring revenue models we look at healthcare enterprise solutions and fintech and for fintech uh, sector specifically, um, you know, I'd, I'd say we avoid the areas that are overhyped mm-hmm. um, and tend to focus on, um, you know, I'd say there's probably four key areas uh, that we continue to be excited about in, in FinTech and it's representative in our current portfolio as well as uh, investments we continue to look at. You know, one is this theme around democratization of financial services. And we've seen this in, in banking, lending, we're now seeing extended forms of real estate technology. Um, so that's a that's been a theme for several years, and, and one we continue to um, lean in on. Um, regtech and compliance, um, you know, some might think boring. boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the first thought they went by. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's some uh, it's pretty interesting uh, developments and innovation that continues to happen in those spaces, particularly around data and AI. And, and there's really a interconnection there in terms of um, enterprise software and, you know, things we like about uh, business applications, particularly vertical business applications that serve large enterprises, you know, reg tech and compliance kind of intersects there. Um, you know, we were early investors in payments space, and um, I was going to ask that if you see new opportunities coming, given given the fact that you've been successful in that space. Yeah, I think there, you know, there are areas that have just been been done, um, but there's still really interesting plays around um, around prepaid and virtual cards and. Um, applications of of these payment technologies and solutions for different um, segments and in sectors of the market. Um, we're pretty excited about uh, different SMB applications and how um, payments and payment solutions for small businesses are really sort of changing the treasury and banking landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's more to come there. Um, and, and likewise, you know, payments is 
kind of an ingredient. It's becoming part of, you know, part of everything now in terms mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, from instant instant paydays and you know or, or getting paid employees uh, having the flexibility and control over getting paid in advance and um there's lots of sort of interesting intersections applications on the b2c and b2b2c as well as b2b side well kelly thanks for joining us and sharing all that information on the on the tear sheet podcast i appreciate it thank you for having me